Welcome to Outreach Church. Thanks for checking out this week's message. To hear more, subscribe to our podcast on iTunes or visit OutreachChurch.net for downloads and service information. If you come after me or if he would go after me, he may just discover that if he would press in and discover who I put him here to be, even if it's for one day, he's created for greatness. If it's one day, if your whole purpose of life is for one day something, one thing that's great, it could change the world. And I think that's the word he said over the church. He said, every one of you, he said, press into me. You're, we're all royalty. Don't look in the natural if you don't think something's open. He said, press in and discover why you're alive, why I created you. There's so much of him. But we have to press in to find him. And when we do that, we'll be released in why that every single one of us has a purpose on earth. And he's waiting for us to grab hold of it, to press into him and discover why we're here. And it's for his glory. It's for Jesus' name to be glorified in the earth. But it was a cry of his heart. It wasn't like, sorry, my, I get a little bit stirred up, but his heart is crying and inviting us. It's in that quiet place when nobody's looking. That's where you discover him. That's where royalty is actually shaped and molded. That's where you just walk into who you really are. It's when you get close to his heart and he breathes on your life. That's when you discover why you're alive. That's his heart cry this morning. Press into him. This worship was amazing. He's here. He's present. He's saying, press into me. I am here. Let me just press into me. Let me raise you up into what I created to be. <laughs> well, let this set a second. I just laugh because... Two weeks in a row now I thought I was doing something, but he changed his mind. I just gleefully say yes. Thank you, God. You're just so amazing. So, God, I just thank you that we are sons and daughters, but greater than that. We're princes and princesses. We're kings and queens. And we're that we are the joy of your heart. So God, in response to what you're speaking over us, as we just do the offering, we just ask that you would breathe on this, that you would multiply it for your glory, that it would expand this royal kingdom in the earth. Holy Spirit, you come more. Just breathe on the finances. Breathe on every gift that's given. May it multiply for your glory, God. In Jesus' name. He came back even when there wasn't a lunch after church. It was good. It was, man. That was awesome. Last week was just, that was good, huh? It's just so fun to see God do what he does and, and to know that, like, we come here with a lot of plans and we come here with all these ideas. And, but more than that, I can tell you that every single person that's in, involved in the service has one thing on their heart and that's God what do you want to do what's on your heart today God what do you want to do and uh, and so that's why 
Like as a pastor, it's so amazing to me. It's so awesome to me <laughs> to be able to, uh, to just know that every person on the worship team isn't up there with their own agenda. They're not seeking after themselves, but that they're actually here for Him. And to know that everything that He wants to happen will happen because they're yielded and they're obedient. And, uh, and to have a church family, like to have you guys and know that you're just as hungry to see God do what He wants to do as we are. Like it's not the leadership trying to convince the people, no, it's great, I promise, come on, try it. It's actually like we're all together, like going, what do you want, God? And we all come here excited and expectant. And listen, there's something to that. There's something to your expectancy. Like when you come here, like not with your mouth open like a bird, you know, hoping to be fed, but actually come here understanding the kingdom of heaven is within me. And I'm gathering with my family, with my brothers and sisters, and we're going to worship and release the kingdom of heaven and that every need will be met and every person will be touched and that there's no one that will leave here that truly wants more of Him and truly wants to become more like Him that will leave the same. That's amazing. Me and Hannah are fired up about it. (laughs) I think Scott was too. Um... If you have your Bibles, open them up to 1 Samuel um, chapter 10. I, uh, I love when I get to preach out of 1 Samuel. I think if, if, if I had one book in the Old Testament anyways, um, it would be 1 Samuel. Um, I've probably preached out of it more than any book in the Bible, um, which is weird because we preach so much New Covenant here, but we do so much preaching out of the Old Testament um, because I, I just really feel like there's so much there for us to learn and, and so many things uh, that point us to Jesus that make us understand what it is that this covenant that we have. They understood covenant. Like, they, am I a little hot? Is this my, I'm just saying the mic, yeah, it's a little hot. Uh... They want me to announce something real quick? The restrooms are out of order. But you can use next door. They're gracious enough to let us. Yeah. Go inside the church. (laughs) I felt the need to point that out for me, not for you guys. But they, they, they understood covenant. They really did. Like, they got it. When God said He was making covenant with man... Like when they heard this, when they heard that God, the God of the universe, Yahweh, this, you know, the, the, the uncreated one, um, when they heard that, that he made covenant with man, it was like a big deal to them. It meant something to them. And they understood things. And it actually changed the way that they lived because they now had a covenant that was greater than any other covenant on earth for the ones who believed it. And so... I don't know, I just, there's so much here. So at 1 Samuel chapter 10, um, if you have it open to um, uh, chapter 10, verse 20, and I'm just going to read a couple verses there, and I want to point something out. It says, this is, this is during the time when, when the Israelites wanted a king. Not God wanted a king for them, but they wanted a king. And they, they told Samuel, they said, we want a king so that we can be like all the other nations. God had called them to be set apart. He pulled them out of where they were and set them apart. And they were never to be like all the other nations, ever. 
And they had judges and they had prophets who God had appointed that ruled over them and that shared what the Word of the Lord was and that made all the decisions. And so they were never supposed to be like the other nations, but they looked around and they wanted a king just because everyone else had one. And they, 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 they wanted a king. They wanted to have like this empire. And they looked around. They, they were waiting for God to restore their kingdom to them. And so they're thinking, well, if we have a king, then that's, that's the first step towards having our own kingdom. They were tired of constantly traveling here and there. And they wanted to actually be established as a people. And so they thought, well, all these other established nations all have kingdoms. They all have kings. So if we want a kingdom... Uh, then the natural progression is that we need a king. Listen, just because God wants something for you doesn't mean that He wants to do it the way the people around you have it done. I promise you, if you start going, well, if if I'm at A and He wants me at D, then B and C must be what's next. That's not the way it works in the kingdom a lot of times. He may want you at, he may be at A, he may want you at D, but he might want to take you through X, Y, and Z first to get you there so that when you get to D, you're actually capable of being the person that you need to be when you're there. And it, and, and so they looked around, they said, well, everyone else has a king, and that's why they have a kingdom, so we want one. And God tells Samuel, he says, listen, tell them that's just not good. I think this is so amazing. He says, listen, tell the people, they don't want a king. This isn't my heart for them. And that if they have one, it won't be what they think. And so Samuel goes and he talks to the people and he says, thus saith the Lord. Like, this is not what you want. That Trust me, it will be bad for you and He'll rule over you and all these things. And they said, no, we want a king. And so it says, so God gave the people as they asked. That's a pretty sad statement. That the God of the universe who led them out of Egypt shares with them His heart. And in response, they say, no, we want a king. And it says, so God relented and gave the people what they asked for. So they gather together and they start casting lots and they, they narrow it down to the tribe, then they narrow it down to the family, and now they finally cast the final lot, and, uh, and the tribe of Benjamin comes, and then so they brought the tribe of Benjamin here, and all the families from the tribe of Benjamin are there, and they, they go down to the Matrite family, and when they get down to the Matrite family, they pull the last lot, and it's Saul, the son of Kish, who is chosen. And so it says, thus Samuel brought all the tribes of Israel near, and the tribe of Benjamin was taken by lot. Then he brought the tribe of Benjamin near by its families, and the Matrite family was taken. And Saul, the son of Kish, was taken. But when they looked for him, he could not be found. Therefore they inquired further of the Lord, Has the man come here yet? So the Lord said, Behold, he is hiding himself by the baggage. And the prophetic people are going to love this. I remember when I found this, I was so excited. I felt like such a biblical scholar. Um, <laughs> And prophetic people love numbers, and, 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 uh, and so seven is an amazing number. It's, it's, an, it's a number of fullness. It's God's number. And, and so turn in your Bibles just directly seven chapters forward. Just go seven chapters ahead in the book of Samuel. Same verses, seven chapters ahead. You all there? It says, so David arose early in the morning and left the flock with a keeper and took the supplies 
and went as Jesse had commanded him. And he came to the circle of the camp while the army was going out in battle array, shouting the war cry. Israel and the Philistines drew up in battle array, army against army. Then David left his baggage in the care of the baggage keeper and ran to the battle line and entered in order to greet his brothers. God, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that that within it You've placed so much. That You've placed Yourself in it. That Jesus is the Word and the Word is made flesh in Him. That as we read Your Word, God, it's alive and it speaks to us. Holy Spirit, I ask that when I speak today that it would be from You. Father, don't ever leave me up here with my words. And that our ears would be open to hear and our minds to understand and our hearts to receive. That we would be good soil, Father. That, that our lives would produce fruit. That a world that doesn't know You, God. That doesn't know that, that You're good. That doesn't know that You're loving and kind and gentle and peaceful and merciful. That You're meek. God, that a world that doesn't know You would taste the fruit of our lives and see that You're good and that they would be drawn to You. I thank You for that in Jesus' name. Amen. So here we have a kind of a story of two kings. The man who would be king and the man who would be king after him. And, and when it talks about Saul, he's chosen, and yet Saul himself, he runs as his name is chosen. He must have heard that they drew his name because the whole family was gathered there. It says all the family was gathered. Not all the family, but Saul was gathered. That's David's story. David was the one that all the family but him was gathered. But Saul, it says the whole Matrite family was there, and Saul the son of Kish was drawn. And so the minute his name is drawn, Saul runs and hides himself in the baggage. That word there in the Hebrew is a word kali. And it's used all throughout the Bible, but it's only used two times in the way that it's used here in the book of Samuel. And that's in chapter 10 and chapter 17, and it's interpreted baggage. The rest of the time it's interpreted as many other different words, but that word baggage is only used twice in that tense. And it's used in in chapter 10 and in chapter 17 of 1 Samuel, and it's used in the 22nd verse of each one. Pretty amazing. And so Saul is chosen and he runs and he hides himself in the baggage and they have to go and find him. And he just his whole life, Saul never believes that he is the man that he is called by God to be. He never actually accepts it. And for the rest of his life, there's an insecurity there because he doesn't accept and believe that he really is who God said that he is and that he was really chosen to be who God said he was chosen to be. And then on the other hand, you have David. David's not there when the ceremony gathers, goes on. He tells, remember, he tells Jesse, he says, get all your sons. And Jesse, when he thinks of his sons, he thinks of, 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 of David's older brothers, and so he gathers them. They're more kingly looking. It says that ta- Saul was heads and shoulders above every other man in the kingdom. He was the tallest man, the biggest man, the most kingly, the most royal. He's the natural choice. And when God is picking this man, it's the one that you would have thought He would pick. If you looked out over the crowd, Saul would have been the man that stood out in the natural to you. And, and, and so when, when David is, is to be crowned and to be anointed, when Samuel goes to his father and says, gather all of your sons, he doesn't even think to call David. He says, David's out there taking care of the sheep, but he's the youngest. He's the smallest. He's but a boy. He's not a warrior like his brothers. He might have even been the product of an affair. 
because he wrote in Psalms, in sin I was conceived. And for whatever reason, his father, either out of shame or out of oversight or out of shame and oversight, decides not to invite David because surely there's no reason that David would ever be chosen to be king. And Samuel comes there. And I love this. We talked about this before, but man, if we could get this and understand this. He heard from God. He went to the house of David. He knew that he was to anoint one of the sons to be king. And when all of the sons that have passed before him and God has said, I've not chosen him, I've not chosen him, I've not chosen him. God doesn't say another word to Samuel when the last son passes before him besides, I have not chosen him. And now Samuel has a decision. Either A, he misheard God. B, he's at the wrong place and he totally blew it. Or C, God messed up. Or D, there must be another son. And he looks around and he has to question someone. See, when things don't happen in our lives the way God spoke them, it's time for us to ask questions. But who or what we question is super revealing in in who we are and what's going on in our hearts. Because now he has to question someone or something. And I love this because Samuel looks straight at Jesse and says, there must be another son. The only option in his mind is, I heard God, God didn't miss it, so there has to be something going on that I don't see. You must have another son. Well, there is this one. He's but a boy. He's on the backside. He's over there. See, there he is, way over there, watching the sheep. Go get him. He's the one. We won't sit until he comes. Why? Because Samuel is sure what he heard from God, and he's sure that if that's the last son, then that's the one that I'm here to anoint. And he questions everything but God. How many of us when we find, I'm telling you, like I myself, you find yourself in a place like he, he went there on a word from God. Like God spoke to him directly. He's there because God sent him. There's no other reason that he's there. And yet he finds himself at the end of the list of sons and God said, not him. How many of us would instantly begin to doubt ourselves? I must have missed it. Sorry, sorry to disturb you guys. I must have blew it. I'm going to go pray and seek God. And, you know, all these holy sounding things, right? But really what we're saying is I'm not confident that I heard from God. Or even worse, we wouldn't say it with our lips, but in our hearts we make a judgment that God must have mistaken it. That God must have messed up. That He must not have really meant what He said. That somewhere along the line, maybe he did mean it then, but he doesn't mean it now. All these questions start to come into our minds, and we would do well to be like Samuel and say, there's one thing I won't question, and that's him. So I'll question everything but him. You must have another son. There's no other explanation. Because I was sent here on a word from God, and he is not a man that he should lie. There is no shadow of turning in him. And somewhere between when he spoke and where I'm standing, something is wrong, but it's not him. That's how David is brought in. Saul is proclaimed in front of the entire nation. You have to understand, this would have been a big deal. 
Like, they gathered everyone and they're all excited because they're finally going to get a king. And all the nations are gathering and they're going to pick, draw lots and they're wondering, okay, who's it going to be? Who's the one? Who's going to be the king? The whole nation's there. They all understand that Samuel's a prophet who hears from God. They're only gathered because of Samuel's word. And Samuel says, okay, we're going to draw lots. First, we're going to draw and see what tribe. So they draw and Benjamin's chosen. You can imagine all the other 11 tribes are probably like, oh, it's Benjamin. <laughs> and then they, they draw again and the Matrite family. So now everyone in Benjamin was probably like, oh, man. But everyone's still excited because at the end of this process, we're going to have a king. And then they finally chose the man and they said, Saul of Kish. And I can imagine the entire nation erupting in, in cheering and looking around and going, where is he? Where is this man? Bring him out. We've got to anoint him and, and carry him out on our shoulders. He's the king. He's the chosen one. He's chosen in front of everybody. He has every reason to believe that he is the man that God chose to be king and to lead his people. He's lacking nothing. He has physical stature. He can stand there and literally see over the heads of every single other man that's gathered. He has the 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 uh the belief of the people in him because they've all heard the prophet speak. And if he spoke and said that that's the king, they believed him. It's not like today where a prophet says something and we go, well... When Samuel spoke, it meant business. Like, that was the end. There was no debating. There was the, And he says, he's the man. So the entire nation knows he's the man. And he has the trust and the, and the authority of God given to him in front of every single person in the tribe. He has every reason to succeed. And yet Saul runs and hides himself in the baggage. Because Saul never believed that he was the man that God said that he was and that he could do the things that God said that he would do. Ever. And that would plague him for the rest of his life and it would cost him ultimately his life and it would cost him his family being placed on the throne. I'll show you here in a second. David, on the other hand, nobody knows. Besides his brothers. His dad and Samuel. It's a private ceremony. Nobody sees. He doesn't look kingly. He doesn't sound kingly. He doesn't have the entire nation believing that he is the man who was anointed king because nobody saw the ceremony which Samuel chose him and anointed him. There's not a bunch of fanfare. Yet from the minute that he is anointed, David believes that he is the man who will lead his people and that he can and will do all the things that God places in front of him and he lives his life with that in mind and the rest of his life bears that out because every single time he faces a challenge there's a confidence that David has that Saul never did and yet both of them had the same anointing by the same prophet from the same God one believed it the other didn't One lived like it was true. The other lived trying to prove it was true. One is afraid and runs and hides. The other is humbled 
and steps into it. So, so here's what happens when they find Saul and they bring him to Samuel. It's first Samuel chapter 10. It says, Then Samuel took the flask and poured it on his head and kissed him and said, Has not the Lord anointed you a ruler over his inheritance? When you go from me today, you will find two men close to Rachel's tomb in the territory of Benjamin of Zelzah. And they will say to you, the donkeys which you went to look for have been found. Now behold, your father has ceased to be concerned about the donkeys and is anxious for you, saying, what shall I do about my son? Then you will go on further from there and you will come as far as the oak of Tabor. And there three men going up to God at Bethel will meet you, one carrying three young goats, one carrying three loaves of bread, and another a jug of wine. And they will greet you and give you two loaves of bread, which you will accept from their hand. Afterwards you will come to the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. And it shall be as, you, as soon as you have come there to the city that you will meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place with harp, tambourine, flute, and lyre before them. And they will be prophesying. Then the Spirit of the Lord will come upon you mightily and you shall prophesy with them and be changed into another man. This is the promise that he has from the prophet. He says, listen, all this stuff's going to happen, and when that does, the Spirit of God's going to come upon you, and you will no longer be the man that you were. You will be changed into another man. A man who is capable of being who you're called to be, who the anointing that rests upon you says that you are. And if you can believe this, Saul, you will live a life as a different person than the one who went up to the hill that day. And yet, he he tells him, God is changing you. He will change you into another man. All that's left now is for Saul to actually believe that God did in him what God said that he would do. And if he would believe that, then he would live differently. How many of us have been told that if we were born again in Christ, we are no longer the old, but the new has come. A new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. That everything has become new. That you've actually been changed into another man. Yet how many of us like Saul don't believe that and live our lives trying to prove something or looking for something else to try to tell us what's true about us rather than believing the simple truth that Jesus said, uh, that Paul wrote about Jesus. He said that He came who knew no sin that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. That's true about you just like it was true that Saul was chosen by God to be his king and lead his people. And God had no intention of Saul not establishing a family line it wasn't as if God chose Saul as a puppet and said I'm going to choose a screw up so that when David comes along he can get to the throne he chose Saul and Saul is plan a and Saul has the full anointing and favor of God upon his life and Saul has the same promise the same anointing and the same directive and all he has to do is believe that it's true and then live as though it is God changed him The problem is is that just because truth comes, just because what is said about you is true, it doesn't actually change you or make a difference in your life unless you believe it and live as though it is. So, so turn, or, or I'm sorry, so turn to 1 Samuel 13. I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 
First Samuel chapter 10, verse 8. Like, how many of us, being honest, like, think about this. If a prophet of God, like an, like an established, legitimate prophet of God, like every person that was a Christian, every person that called themselves a child of God, believed and acknowledged this person was a prophet, and when they spoke, what they said was true, and everybody believed it. If they came to you and gave you a direct word, a very simple word, and just said, here, listen to me. This is what God has asked of you. Go and do this. How many of us believe we would actually go and do that thing? It's okay, like it's not a trick question. All you're like, aha, you liars, there's none good, no one but God. You're not truthful. Every man is a liar. It's hard to deceive for you. Dece- no, I'm not going to say that stuff to you. Like how many of you would legitimately believe that if he gave you a simple instruction, you'd go do it? Okay, well then my question for the rest of you is if you don't, if you can't raise your hand, why? Like you're sitting here, you haven't even heard what it is. Maybe it's, hey, when church gets over today, you should go eat lunch. Why, like, I'm being serious. This isn't like part of my message. I'm just wondering why in a church of, of, of this many people do half of us say if a legitimate recognized prophet of God came to us and gave us a simple instruction, we don't believe that we would carry it out. We should probably deal with that before we move on. What would keep us from doing that? Like, what are you afraid of? But if he came to you and said that you're supposed to do it, and it's the God of the universe saying it, how many of you know that he's never called you to do something that he hasn't also equipped you and empowered you to be able to do? See, that's the problem, is that there was fear that what was asked of him wouldn't be able, he wouldn't be able to do. It's the thing that ruled him for the rest of his life. He was constantly afraid because he never actually believed that he was who God said that he was. And until we actually believe that we are who God says that we are, holy, set apart, righteous, the apple of His eye, the delight of His heart, that we are, we are more than conquerors, that we are able to do every good work that He equipped us and prepared beforehand that we should walk in. For you are saved not by, gra- by faith through grace, or grace through faith, that not of yourselves, lest any man should boast, but we were prepared for good hands that He prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. Like He's prepared us beforehand and He's prepared the work beforehand and He wants us to walk in it. And if we actually believe that and we say, you know what, God, You saved me. You called me out. You set me apart so that I could actually be the person You created me to be and that everything You're asking of me, God, You're empowering me to do. And we believe that we really are who He says that we are. There would be nothing stopping us. But like Saul, so many of us don't believe that we've actually been changed into a different person. And so we look at the man that we were and we're afraid that the man that we were is the man that we will still be. Alright. So he comes to him and he says, you shall go down before me to Gilgal and behold, I will come to you to offer burnt offerings and sacrifice peace offerings. You shall wait seven days until I come to you and show you what you should do. It's real simple. Saul, this is where you are. Saul, this is where I want you to go. I want you to wait there. And here's how long I want you to wait. And when I come, I'm going to offer burnt offerings and sacrifices. Saul, you, you, you have something in front of you that you have to do. You have to take you and the people from where they are to where I've called you to go. 
And you have to bring with you all that's necessary for the sacrifice. And then you have to wait. And then you just have to wait. And I'll come to you. And in seven days time, I'll come to you and I will and show you what you should do. That's all you have to do, Saul. It's not hard, but it does require him doing something. It's not as if he said, okay, Saul, here's what's going to happen. You sit there, don't do anything, and in seven days, I'll come find you and show you what to do next. No, no, he gives them things to do. Like this life, God gives us things to do. He prepared good works that we should walk in them beforehand. That means there's actually something he expects for me to do. I'm not doing it to earn something from him. I'm doing it out of a response of what I've already been given. But I still do. That's not striving. That's obedience. That's love. That's wanting to be about the works of my Father. Jesus said, didn't you know I would be about my Father's business? If Jesus was on earth and He called us to live like Him, and while He was here, He was about His Father's business, then chances are pretty good that as a born-again believer following Jesus, I'll be about my Father's business. So Saul goes, and he obviously brought all the stuff with him. He brings the sacrifice. He brings what's needed to make an altar. He gets all the people there. He does all the hard part of it. He does all the strenuous part of it. And continue on in 1 Samuel 13, chapter, uh, verse 8. It says, Now he waited seven days according to the appointed time set by Samuel, but Samuel didn't come to Gilgal, and the people were scattering, fr- scattering from him. So Saul said, Bring to me the burnt offering and the peace offerings. And he offered the burnt offering. And as soon as he finished offering the burnt offering, behold, Samuel came, and Saul went out to meet him and to greet him. But Samuel said, what have you done? And Saul said, because I saw that the people were scattering from me, and you did not come within the appointed days, and that the Philistines were assembling at Mishmash. Therefore I said, now the Philistines will come down against me at Gilgal, and I have not asked the favor of the Lord. So I forced myself and offered the burnt offering. And Samuel said to Saul, you've acted foolishly. You have not kept the commandment of the Lord your God, which He commanded you. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever." What was the point of bringing Saul to that place? To establish his kingdom forever. To forever establish that the throne of Israel was through the lineage and the line of Saul. That's what he would have done. He said it. For now the Lord would have established your kingdom over Israel forever, but now your kingdom shall not adore the Lord has sought out for Himself a man after His own heart, and God has appointed him as ruler over His people because you have not kept what the Lord commanded you. Listen, Saul does everything that's asked of him except for the waiting. I promise you, the doing is a whole lot easier a lot of times than the waiting. We want to do. We want to do, and we do, and we do, and we do, and we get, we get to the people, and we get them excited about what God's called us to do, and then we figure out, okay, what are we going to need to accomplish this thing that God's called us to, to do? So we're going to need stones, and we're going to need wood, and we're going to need animals, and we're going to need this, and we're going to need that, we're going to need knives, and we're going to need this, and we're going to need tents, we're going to stay there this many days, we're going to have to have provisions, we're going to need food. It's not like there's this huge campaign to organize. It wasn't this little thing. It's getting a whole tribe of people to go from where they 
they are to where God's called them to be and to take everything with them that they need for what He's called them there for. And He does and He does and He does and He does everything right. And then all He has to do is wait. Don't jump early when you've done everything God's asked you to do and you think that if you wait a little bit longer, you're going to miss out. And don't look at the people around you as an indicator of what you should do next when you have a clear word from God about what you're supposed to do to begin with. This is Saul's problem and it plagues him forever. Why? Because he doesn't in his heart believe that he is the man that God said that he is. So the favor of God and the voice of God in his life is not enough to keep him in obedience when the people around him begin to murmur and leave and scatter. He would have been better off to stand there and watch every one of them leave than to do something before it was time and against what the prophet spoke to him. He, he gives it up with his own mouth why he didn't wait a little longer. He says, I saw that the people were scattering from me. And you didn't come within the appointed days. It was within the appointed days. It just wasn't the hour that Saul thought that he should have showed up. We make these timelines sometimes in our heads and then we hold God accountable and we put Him on trial and if He doesn't show up at the time that we appointed that He should show up, we find Him guilty in our court and we act on our own behalf. I mean, not you guys, but I'm saying this is what Saul did. That was for the podcast folks. Not me. Bad Saul. So he says, I saw the people were going to scatter. And you didn't come within the appointed days. And I saw the Philistines were assembling. He sees the enemy and what they're doing. And fear rises up in him. See, what his eyes should have been on is that's the path that Samuel's going to come down. So I'm going to stand here and wait and wait until I see him do what he promised he would do. And then once he does, I, I believe that he will do next what he promised he would do and tell me what to do next. I've done everything he asked me to do. I've reached the point where everything that is called of me to do has been done. Now I'm going to stand here and I'm going to watch and I'm going to wait for what he said would come next. But instead of his eyes being on where Samuel's supposed to come from, instead of his faith being in the fact that the prophet of God told him to do this and he'd been obedient and that God would do everything he said he would do and that he had changed him into a different person, his eyes were on everything else and all he could do was look around and see the people scattering and the Philistines gathering and suddenly his decisions are being made by what the people around him don't believe and what the enemy believes. And because of that, he says, I have to do something i got to do something. Acting outside of what God's called you to do for any reason is never a good reason. But acting outside of what God's called you to do because you're afraid of what the people around you think or you're afraid of the plan of the enemy, that's even worse. 
That's even worse. Chapter 15 of Samuel. You don't have to turn there. I'm going to read it. Another time, Saul is told something. And, and God tells him, like, your kingdom would have been established forever, but now my, my favor is on another, and I've chosen a man after my own heart. You know, he's talking about David. And so David's going to be anointed now at some point, and Saul knows this. And because he doesn't believe that he is who God called him to be, because he's insecure, he's going to be constantly looking for the one who's coming along, who's going to replace him, who's God's chosen one. Sound like anybody else? There was once an enemy who knew that there was someone that was coming along that would have the favor of God upon him and who would replace him. And he spent his life searching out for that person and trying to kill him. That's why it's not really surprising that Saul tried to kill David. If you don't believe that you are where God's called you to be and you don't believe that you got there by His favor and you know that something you have done has been in disobedience to God and you feel insecure in the place that you are, you will always try to kill what's coming next to keep what you have. I promise you. So chapter 15 says, He tells him, he says, Saul, I want you to go out and destroy the Amalekites. I do not want you to leave anything alive. If it has a heart that beats, kill it. And so, of course, Saul does the exact opposite and allows things to live. Samuel comes and says, is it not true? He's rebuking him now. Listen to what he says. He says, is it not true, though you were little in your own eyes, you were made the head of the tribes of Israel? And the Lord anointed you king over Israel. And the Lord sent you on a mission and said, go and utterly destroy the sinners, the Amalekites, and fight against them until they are exterminated. Why then did you not obey the voice of the Lord, but rushed upon the spoil and did what was evil in the sight of the Lord? You notice that he says to him, even though you were little in your own eyes, God chose you. See, the problem is is that we can be little in our own eyes. That's okay. But when God speaks, it's supposed to change the way we see. And if, if you, you, being little in your own eyes and being humble is fine, but staying little in your own eyes and, and, and in the name of humility, not believing that you really are who God called you to be is the worst sense of, of type of pride that there is. It is, the, it, is, it is utterly destructive because here's what you're saying. I see myself this way. God, I know you spoke that, but you don't know the things that I know. And so my opinion stays and yours has to go. It's the worst pride there is because we're exalting our own knowledge above the knowledge of God because if He spoke it about you, it's true. He said, remember there was another time when people said they were little in their own eyes? Do you remember who those were? Anybody? Who's the, yeah, who reads their Bible? <laughs> who remembers? I don't mean that like if you don't know the answer, you don't read your Bible. I'm saying like, who, who's read this story and knows it? They're, they sent the spies, right? They send the, the ten spies, the twelve spies in. Ten of them come back with a bad report. What do they say? We were like grasshoppers in our own eyes and in theirs. See, they saw themselves as just these little insignificant things, and they projected that even onto the enemy and said, "Surely the enemy saw us the way that we see ourselves." So, how do they know what the enemy saw when they saw them? How do they know that God didn't blind the eyes of the enemy and that when they looked, all they saw behind them were the angels of the heavens, the host of heavens? Like with Ezekiel. 
with Elijah and Elisha. How do they know what the, what the giants see when they look at them? They're walking in the power of God. For all they know, there's a legion of angels behind them. For all they know, that the same angel who stood on the shores and, and they saw that it was this huge giant being that they were terrified of was walking with them and he's five times the size of any giant. And when the giants looked, there was actually fear in their hearts because they were looking at the army of God, not grasshoppers. But because they believed it in their own minds, they thought everybody else must believe and see them that way as well. And they wouldn't even acknowledge that the God who sent them in there might be able to to do something except for the two you notice they never talked about how small they were they talked about how big the grapes were how good the land was and how much they were going to enjoy living there why because they believed that if god called them to that land he would deliver it over into their hands there's something to believing that we really are who god said that we are here's saul's reply it'll sound familiar then Saul said to Samuel, I have sinned. I have indeed transgressed the command of the Lord and your words because I feared the people and listened to their voice. Every time Saul blew it, it was because he had insecurity and didn't believe that he really was who God said that he was. Every single time. And so he looked to the people around him to see who they thought that he was. And he acted in accordance. Listen to me. You can be surrounded by the most amazing community of believers. You can have the most amazing teaching, the most amazing mentors. You can know the Bible. You can know every promise of God about you. You can know all of this stuff in your head. And you can have people around you that call the gold out in you and tell you how amazing you are and tell you what they see in your life. If you never actually believe it for yourself and it doesn't change the way that you look at life, it won't do you a bit of good. And you will look to other people for their opinion to tell you who you are or what you should be doing. The problem with that is this. When things are going great, you'll believe everything they say. When things are going great, you'll believe everything they say. When you're doing really well, when you're not facing a hard thing, when there's nothing going on in life that's challenging, it's easy then when people come to you with these amazing words to say, yes, praise God, that's awesome, I believe that. The problem is, is that when things get hard, or when you're facing an enemy that's gathering on a hill, or when the opinions of people around you start to change, you'll have a hard time believing those things because you're looking more at what's going on around you than what God's spoken about you. If Saul would have just believed, listen, I can hear God's heart in this, that if you would just believe that you really have been changed, that you are no longer the person that you were, that the Spirit of God has come inside of you and all things have been made new. Everything that was has passed away. Behold, everything is new. And you now no longer are a sinful, disgusting creature. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. If you would believe that, then you would live like that's true. And when things around you don't say that, you would look at the things around you and you would question every one of them and never question Him. Amen. And if you can get to that place, then the plans of the enemy or the voice of the people have zero impact on your life. And the only thing that you can do when you see an enemy gathering is rub your hands together and wait and see how God's going to take care of it this time because surely my God will. Yeah. I'm telling you, it's not, trying to, it's not like a pump you up thing. It's just a truth thing. 
He didn't act sinful so that you could act righteous. He became sin so that you could become righteous. The righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Not just like any old righteousness. It's the righteousness of God in Christ. You've become that. He's said it. But if you don't believe it, you'll live so much lower than that. And there's nothing more that He can do because Jesus isn't going to die again and He's not going to let you be born again again. You were born once into Adam and it's appointed once for man to die. It's not death when your body ceases working in the way this world requires it to work and you go from here into eternity. That's not death. The once that it's appointed for you to die is the time that you understand who you are and who you are without Him and you actually die and are resurrected again with Christ. For we are crucified with Him and baptized into His death so that we might be raised to newness of life in Him. And He who is in Him, though He sleeps, He never dies. You were only supposed to die once. You can't be born again again. If your life is not changing once you have accepted Him as your Savior and made Him the Lord of your life, it's not because there's more that needs to be done in you. It's because you need to believe that everything's been done in Him. Everything. Listen, I'm just going to close up with this. I, I, maybe next week. I say that every week. I come up here with like, I'm so ambitious. I have these high hopes, right? Like, I have seven pages of notes. I got through two. God probably just laughs. He probably thinks it's cute, you know? Like, oh, look at him. He really thinks he's going to do it this time. Well, I was having one of those scholarly moments. I was reflecting on a revelation that I got where it was like the same exact chapter and then turns seven exactly ahead in the exact same verse, uses the same word for only the second time in the Bible that it's used in that same way. And I was like, oh, man. <laughs> I've learned not to be too impressed with myself. I'm sure there's somebody else out there that thought of that already. And even if they didn't, it didn't come from me. I'm not that smart. But listen, you guys, it comes down to the same thing as Saul. It's not whether or not you're anointed. You understand that, like, you know... Oh, I'd rather be anointed like David than Saul. Well, they, that, that's impossible. They were anointed by the same prophet in the same way, with the same oil, with the same title, the same calling, and the same God. It's not about anointing. Oh, they're just so anointed. No, they just believe they are. And you are too, if you can believe it. And your life will actually change when you actually believe that you are who God says that you are and that you can do the things He's called you to do. Have you ever said that about people? Like you look at them and you're like, well, they're just so anointed. So are you. And you owe it to the world to discover what that is. Like Saul owed it. He said, today, God would have established your line on His throne forever. Do you understand, Saul, that the, the deck was not stacked against you? That it wasn't an anointing problem. It wasn't even a knowledge problem. It was a belief problem. 
It says in Hebrews, they had the same gospel preached to them that we had preached to us, yet they didn't mix the hearing of the word with faith. They never actually believed the good news. And because they didn't believe the good news, they didn't live as though the good news was true. And they never entered into His rest. (sighs) What if like... Seriously, what if when we read the Bible and we saw a promise of God over our lives, we just like, we're like, God, I'm not moving on until I actually believe this is true and I can see it change my life. I don't need to know more. I need to believe what I know. God, I don't need the next big revelation. I need to believe the revelation that you gave me that began this journey. And that was that you're God and I'm not, but you sent your son that I might become something new and have you actually take up residence and live inside of me. And now I'm a son, a daughter, a prince, a princess, a king, a queen. A royal priesthood set apart and holy. If we don't believe it, it'll be just like Saul. It won't be God's fault. But it could have consequences that last for a long time. I know we don't in 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 the... in the modern church, there's not all that much talk about consequence. You know, we almost like act like sovereignty changed from something in the Old Testament to something new in the New Testament. Just whatever God wants to happen, it'll happen. No, he said to him, he said, Saul, if you would have done this, then I would have. He's not a man that he should lie. He was not taunting him. He wasn't saying it after the fact to make him feel bad. Making up some story. Well, you know, Saul, had you done that, I would have. So how's that feel? He's being truthful. It grieved his heart. You should answer that. (laughs) Otherwise, We'll be a bunch of people walking around. When things are good, everything will be fine. But as soon as we see the enemy gathering on a hill, as soon as we see people around us changing their opinion, starting to walk away, becoming fearful, whatever it is, we'll start to question ourselves and we'll start to question Him and we'll start to question everything that we shouldn't question and not the things we should. Because what is seen is temporal. What is not seen is eternal. If what I see with my natural eyes contradicts what I see with my spiritual eyes, if what I hear with my natural ears contradicts what I've heard with the ears of the Spirit, if what men say doesn't line up with what God says, if what men do doesn't line up with what God said I should do, there's one thing that I'm, going to question, I'm not going to question in the equation, and that's Him. To just be locked in like Samuel and say, there must be another son. So what is it like in our lives? Like honestly, just take a second and think about it. What is it that we know God's spoken over our lives that we've maybe started to question Him or ourselves on that God would have us take another look and say, wait a minute, maybe I've been questioning all the wrong things. Maybe it wasn't Him that missed it. Maybe it wasn't me that missed it. Maybe there's something else going on that I need to question. Because maybe I really did hear Him and maybe He really did mean it. And he hasn't changed his mind. And I've questioned everything but the thing I should question. Who's the Jesse? What's the Jesse that we need to look at and say, okay, this is what God said, and this is what you've said. 
you're wrong. There's more to it. This is what God said. This is what I'm seeing. That's not right. There must be another son. Just seek that out. Like when we when we have when we when I preach these messages, like I, I pray that when we leave here, it's like fire in our hearts, and we're just like, God, what is it? What do you want me to look at and say, wait a minute? This is what God said. This is what you say, and they don't line up. I'm not gonna ever question him, but I'm gonna question you. I'm gonna question that. God, I know that you said that you're a God who heals. Like, I know that you said that. God, I know that you said you're the God who provides. I know you said that. And I'm not seeing your provision right now, but I'm not going to question you. And if I know that I've done everything you've called me to do, I'm not going to try to do something else to try to force your hand. God, I'm going to sit here and I'm going to wait until I see you come walk down that path and tell me what to do next. God, I pray that that would be our heart. God, I pray that we would look like, like Saul should, should have to where You said You would be. And God, that we would wait there until You come and say what to do next. Even when the enemy's gathering on the hill and even when the people around us are turning and scattering, that we would be so fixed on You, God, that we wouldn't be moved. God, I pray for patience in the waiting. God, I pray if there's people right now in this room, God, I just release a peace to be okay in the waiting. To not feel like we have to frantically do something because we've done everything You've called us to do and there's nothing left to do but wait, God. I pray that we would even be joyful in the waiting. That we would be expectant in the waiting and not anxious in the waiting, God. That our, our, we would have expectation but not anxiety. That we would be zealously looking to see You walk down that path and tell us what to do next. And that we would be fixed and not move until You do. I just pray right now, God, for every person in this room and that, that ever hears this, that they would believe that they are who You said that they are. That we would never make a case in our mind that has a rebuttal for what You've said. That we would never hear the Scriptures and say, yeah, but. That we would hear the Scriptures and we would say, let it be done as You've spoken. Let it be so. Amen. Amen.